to you know, read it as we do the chanting, if you like, either in English or in Pali. And uh, it's, a, it's a blessing for all of us for our practice and for all of the situation and people and beings on our shrine table out there in front of the Kunin, all the dedications. We can have them in mind and you know, share the good energy of our practice. Ratanyunan pikuni nanko tamijinamatucha tapita hangatanam hisada soting karotuno mahapanya nangangata ke materi Savika bunda sita sasata soting karotuno. Teri upalavana chaidimantina uttama. Savika bunda sita sasata soting karotuno. Vinayatari nang anga patacharati visuta tapita angatanam hisata soting karotuno dhammakati kanang pavaradhamadinatinamika Tapita hangatanam hisada soting karotuno. Jaikanang pikuni nang nanda teriti namasam. Angatanatita ahusada soting karotuno. Arata viriyanangangga sona teritinamika Tapita tatatanam hisata soting karotuno Dimbachaku kangangga sakula itivisuta Visutanayana sapisada soting karotuno Kundala kesi pikuni kipa binyanang uttama Tapita yevatanam hisada soting karotuno Teri banda kapilani pumbajati nanganusari Tasang yeva bikuni nang sada soting karotuno Teri tu banda kachana mahabinyanang uttama Jinena sukadukkang sasada soting karotuno. Luka chivaradari nang angakisa pikotami. 
Tapita angatanam hisata sotin karotuno. Sikalamata pikuni sadadi mutanang utama. Karotuno mahasanting arogyan chasukang sada. Anya pikuni o sambana Palentuno sambabaya so karoka di sambava. Sota panadayo se kasadha panya siladika. Baga so kile satahana sata sote karotuno. steamed up glasses with a mask. So um, here we all are sitting in meditation together with masks on and after a pretty challenging couple of years I think for many people. There have been a few people who've really blossomed and um, had a great experience, a few people that I know, often mostly um, people who are already retired who have suddenly had lots of access to teachings that they didn't have before online. And so that's been a, that's like the silver lining of this pandemic. Um, and it's been a long time. It's been a long and grueling time. And uh, so here we are at the, at the, not at the end of that time, but you know, somewhere in that time of a long challenging pandemic and uh, I, I was rec- I, I just like about a week ago came off a three month retreat that we we have every year at the monastery and uh, in the last two weeks of the retreat because I had to be a little bit involved in things I decided to very carefully with sort of like homeopathic doses look at the news so that's also just I mean I think you've probably all been much more in, you know taking in much more than I have but yeah feeling the heart break and. Uh, the tragedy of, of how we're using, how human beings are using this opportunity, how many people are using it in just uh, lost in greed, hatred and delusion, and then many others who are, you know, arousing compassion and wisdom and kindness and uh, just the kind of mess of it all already. So I just feel like I want to acknowledge that at the beginning of the retreat. I, would, I felt like, oh, I would love to like bring something really uplifting and wonderful, but it's like, well... This is part of the picture, and uh, and it is also very much what the Buddha was pointing to. You know, he wasn't saying, you know, life's really great. You just do it like this, and it'll all be wonderful. You know, he was he was pointing us to how we can make life more wonderful. He definitely was pointing us in that direction, and inevitably there is 
separation and loss. We are, we are separated from our loved ones. It, it, we, we can't escape that. We have to be in contact with people we don't like or with situations or feelings that we don't like. We can't escape that. You know, there are, the body will get sick and age and eventually die. We can't escape that. So these hard truths are very much what the Buddha was pointing to. And I know, you know, some people don't want to hear it and, and don't want to come to Buddhist things because they have to hear these rather miserable truths. But they're miserable as long as we keep them at arm's length, as long as we try to keep them away and avoid them and not look. Um, so he's inviting us to turn towards the reality and the limitations of this, of this sense realm that we live in and of any of the realms, actually. But here we are in this one. He's inviting us to, to look clearly at, at what is this, you know, these, these uh, things that we run after, we chase after, that we want, that we think will give us happiness. How long will that happiness last? Is the happiness dependent on the thing? The happiness comes from inside. The, the peace comes from inside. The, the wisdom comes from inside. So it's like it's here waiting to be awakened within us, to be cared for and nurtured within us. And we often forget that and we look for something outside ourselves to make ourselves whole or make ourselves happy or, or make ourselves feel more wise by putting more information in or something like that. So, um, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a powerful teaching that the Buddha gave and uh, an essential part of it is arousing a sense of well-being and, and uh, you know, the, the heart qualities that we were practicing earlier today are a, a really essential part of the path. So we need the uplift and the, the, the expansiveness and the sense of interconnectedness, you know, the metta like interconnects, it's... it's there for all beings regardless. It's not you get someone you don't or you can get more because I like you more. It's just metta, like the sun shining on all things equally. And likewise with the other Brahma Viharas, they're, they're, they're um, expansive qualities that take us beyond our limited and separate self. That story of me and mine, they take us beyond that. Once we, once we get in the swing of it, Sometimes we get a little bit stuck on that one, but you know, if, if you can get past that, they, they open up into a, a field, you know, like a field of, of blessings, of, uh, of goodness, of love, different aspects of love. And this is a very important part of the, of the teaching. So there's the love aspect and there's the wisdom aspect, and they, they belong together. Like I was think, think of them like two... Like when we bring our, palm, bring our palms together, the, the love and the wisdom working together. And also, as we've been mentioning, the, the, uh, the intuitive and the rational also working together. If you only have one, if there's only the rational, it can get very cold. It can be uh, a little divorced from our humanity. If there's only the intuitive, it can get a little crazy, a little bit unformed. So we need a bit of both. They both can work together. And um, so we've chosen this theme of the Terigata. And um, these 
you know, these are in some ways very, very beautiful and uplifting poems because they're all around, they're all about women realizing full awakening, which is pretty awesome, you know, being completely freed from anything that can hold them back and, uh, you know, dwelling in this state of absolute freedom, freedom and clarity and joy. And their journeys are often quite, quite challenging. So I was drawn, called, I want to say tonight, to share the story of Patachara. Um, and it's a bit of a challenging story. And in a way it's a story about grief and uh, overcoming grief. Not just overcoming, but you know, coming to a place of being completely free from grief. And, and the way to become free from grief is to be fully, fully aligned with the truth of the way things are. When we're fully aligned with the way things are, we don't grieve it anymore. We understand this is, this is, it, this is the way things go. So I'm sorry that it's, it's a little bit of a heavy story and it's the first night, but somehow she wanted to come through tonight, so I'm going to share her story. And I'm going to start with a... A poem. So the first, actually I'm not reading them directly from here, but the first is from Charles Hallisay's book, which is the same, it's a different cover, but it's the same one as Ayasanthachita has been reading from. Patachara. Furrowing fields with ploughs, sowing seeds in the ground, Taking care of wives and children, young men find wealth. So why have I not experienced freedom when I'm virtuous and I do what the teacher taught, when I'm not lazy and I'm calm? While washing my feet, I made the water useful in another way, by concentrating on it, move from higher Sorry, by concentrating on it, move from the higher ground down. Then I held back my mind, as one would do with a thoroughbred horse, and I took a lamp and went into the hut. First I looked at the bed, then I sat on the couch. I used a needle to pull out the lamp's wick. Just as the lamp went out, my mind was free. So this is her awakening poem, and I'd like to um, go back and tell you a little bit of the stories. There's quite a few, uh, you can find um, s- stories about her life in quite a few places in the Pali Canon. And uh, the story goes that she was a um, daughter of a, a wealthy merchant family. They had a big house, she was quite beautiful. She was quite a, a strong-minded girl who liked to do things her way. And uh, as was the way of things at that time in India, she was going to be lined up for an arranged marriage to a suitable husband from the, a similar class as she, had, she lived in. And uh, she had many suitors, you know, people who were interested, and she but she had fallen in love with one of the servants of the house, so one of her father's servants. And uh, 
Some stories say that she was locked away in a room so that she wouldn't get into trouble. Uh, without, they didn't know, the family didn't know that she was in love with the servant, but she was kind of, they knew that she was a bit of a wayward girl. And so she was kind of locked away until, until they could find the right husband for her and marry her off and, you know, get her into the right family, suitable family. And meanwhile, so she's being, being brought meals and so on, and she falls in love with the servant. And, uh, they, and he falls in love with her. And she, she says to him, look, you know, my father, if I, if I stay here any longer, my father's going to marry me off to one of these men. And I don't want to live with any of these men. I want to live with you. Take me away. You know, you need to, we need to just get away. So they elope together. They run away. And uh, they run off into the forest and he clears some of the forest and he makes a bit of a field and he's, you know, growing stuff in the field and he's working in the forest and, and they have a little hut there and he's having to hide away from the family because if, you know, they find him, he's afraid if they find him they may, you know, torture him or imprison him or beat him or something would, terrible would happen. So, they, so they're living together in the forest and she's having to work really hard, you know, she has to, she has to go and collect the water from the spring and then pound the rice and clean the house and do the cooking and all the things she didn't have to do before because she was from this wealthy family that had servants. So she's doing all of this stuff and it's kind of not quite the dream that she thought it was going to be, being with her love. And, uh, and then after some time she becomes pregnant and it was the tradition in those days for the for the a daughter to go back to her mother's house when she was pregnant to give birth at her mother's house. So she says to her husband, "You know, okay, you know, I want to go home." And they, she was born in Savati, which is a town where the Buddha uh, taught, uh, lived, lived and taught many many over many years. So she wanted to go back to Savati to be with her mother. And so she asked her husband, come on, you know, can we go, let's go together, come with me to my family. And he was afraid to go because he thought if he goes back, they're going to beat him or imprison him. And so he kept holding back and holding back until eventually she managed to convince him and they went. But she was quite heavily pregnant by that time. And on the way, she went into labor on the road and gave birth to have their first child. So then they'd already, that had already happened. So they said, okay, well, let's go back. You know, so we, we, didn't, we missed the opportunity to be at the parents' house for the birth. So they went home to their little hut and uh, carried on their rather hard living and raised this little child. And then uh, maybe two years later, she becomes pregnant again. So again, she says to her husband, come on, let's go to the to Savati to my family's house so that I can give birth at my mother's home. And again, he, he doesn't want to, he's afraid. He's reluctant, he's trying to talk her out of it, but she's just really, please, please, you know, I must do this. And so they set off on the road to Savati and uh, they've got their little toddler, little boy, and, and, they've got, and she's heavily pregnant and uh, they're on their way and this big storm breaks out. Uh, thunder and lightning and pouring rain. So the, the, the kind of intensity of the storm 
brings on her labor, she starts going into labor, and again she gives birth on the side of the road to this little baby. And uh, the weather's gone really, really wild, and, they, and they, she's just kind of huddled up, and the husband says, okay, I'm going to go into the forest and, and make a little shelter for us, and uh, I'll come back for you. You just, you just take care of the kids, and, and I'll be back you know, once I've built this shelter. So she's kind of, you know, trying to keep them dry and she's trying to keep herself dry. And, and um, he goes off and he doesn't come back. And so she waits and waits for him all night. She's waiting and waiting. And then eventually she says to her children, your father has abandoned us. We have to go on alone. And uh, she, she walks into the forest and then she finds him, his body, laying kind of bluish color and he's been bitten by a snake and died so then she's so heartbroken like oh my goodness you know there she's with her two little children newborn baby and a little one and her husband's died and uh, so she's like distraught but she you knows she has the children she has to take care of them and so she's um heading i think she, i'm actually not quite sure if she's heading back to the hut or, or onto Savati, but she's She's heading on and she needs to cross this river which has become really swollen from the rain of this big storm. And she's quite weak from having been there all night with the kids in this storm. And so she feels like, okay, I can't, I can't manage to carry them both across. So she, uh, she, she tells the, the older one, you sit there and you wait for me and you don't come until I call you. You just stay there and I'll be back. But first we've got to take the baby across. So she crosses the river with her little newborn baby and, and leaves it on the bank of the river and then she crosses, comes back across the river to pick up her older little one and then she's halfway across and a, an eagle comes down and takes the baby away and she's so horrified and she's in the middle of the river going no, no and her little boy sees her so it's such a sad story her little boy sees her and he thinks she's saying come come so then he steps into the river and gets swept away so she's there in the middle of the river like oh, my husband's died both both her children have just been it's like incredible grief can't don't know what to do so she feels like okay i, I just have to make my way back to my parents house and be there with them and uh, so she makes her way back towards Savati and she meets a man on the road and so she asks him about her family and, they, and he says oh where do they live and she says oh it's that it's this, this big house and she describes the house and then he says oh ask me about any other house in Savati but not that house and then she says no no tell me what the, how, are my, how are they how are my family and He's like, no, no, please don't ask me about that house. And, and uh, so, of course, she asks again, and he says, in the big storm, the roof of the house collapsed and everybody in there died. So the mother, the father, and her brother all died in the house that collapsed. And that was the only house in the, the town that collapsed. And then he says, if you look over there, you'll see that smoke. Well, that's the pyre, the funeral pyre of, of their family. So... When she hears that, she completely loses her mind. She completely goes crazy with grief. And uh, she's uh, just literally like wandering around, doesn't know what she's doing. Her clothes have fallen off and she's just like crazy. 
and um, she, I don't know how long she was like that, but she's she's just in this. She's completely lost her mind, and uh, it being Savati, the Buddha happened to be there at that time, and so he's there with his disciples, and she's just kind of wandering around crazy and and uh, wanders her way into this situation outside, you know, in the forest where he's with his disciples giving teachings. And they see her coming, and they're like, oh, this crazy woman's coming, we've got to stop her, you know. And so they try to stop her coming, and then the Buddha says, no, 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 let, let her come, let her come. And so she, come, she comes to him. And there are a few different, um, there's a few different depictions of what he said. So let me just find that. So one of the, so in the Anguttara Nikaya commentary, it's, he just says, sister, regain your senses. Or sister, regain your mindfulness. So that's one, one quite famous um, version of the story where he just says, "Sister, regain your mindfulness," and then she she kind of comes back to her senses. There's another another part in the in the Pali Canon where she sa- where he says, "Daughter, do not mourn. Be confident. Seek yourself." Why do you grieve uselessly? For me, that one doesn't sort of land so well. I feel like, I don't know that that would really work. <laughs> so anyway, that's in one of them. And then there's this, this um, little stanza which says, where he says, Neither children, nor a father, nor el- any relatives are a shelter. Relatives are no protection for one who is affected by death. So that sounds quite sobering. It's like, hmm, okay. And it's said that when she heard that teaching, because she, because it was so extreme, she was pushed so way, so beyond her ability to hold any of that. She was just like totally broken open. It's said that when she heard that teaching, I'm going to say it again, neither children nor a father, nor any relatives are a shelter. Relatives are no protection for one who is affected by death, which is all of us. And it's said that when she heard that, she attained stream entry. So she, she broke through the first layer of uh, delusion and saw with her own direct experience, the, the, experienced directly the peace of Nibbana or Nirvana, the peace of awakening. So with, with stream entry, one sees, one glimpses that reality and one for a few moments is, is dwelling in that state of absolute peace because of being absolutely attuned to reality as things, as things are. So when one's absolutely attuned to the way things are, there's no grasping, there's no wanting and not wanting, there's no wishing it to be a certain way, there's no fear, there's no desire, there's just seeing clearly. So at that point, she she breaks through into this state where she's seeing clearly, but she's not finished yet. So that's a very, very important part of the path. Very, very important. I highly recommend everyone realizes that, if possible. (laughs) Um, But it's not the end. So there's still, you know, greed, hatred and delusion. They're, They're still around. There's less of it, but it's still there. So we still work to do. And so that uh, brings us back to her poem, which 
which I'm going to read again. So in this poem, it's clear that she hasn't finished the work. She's so furrowing fields with plows, sowing seeds in the ground, taking care of wives and children. Young men find wealth. So why have I not experienced freedom? So she's had the breakthrough experience, but she hasn't finished yet. When I am virtuous, I do what the teacher taught. So the teacher, capital T, is the Buddha. When I am not lazy and I am calm. While washing my feet, I made the water useful in another way. By concentrating on it, move from the higher ground down. Then I held back my mind as one would do with a thoroughbred horse and I took a lamp and went into the hut. First I looked at the bed, then I sat on the couch. I used a needle to pull out the lamp's wick. Just as the lamp went out, my mind was free. I'd like to read um, Maddie Weingast's version of this same poem and uh, Patachara wandering robe farmers turn up the soil plant seeds and wait all by itself water pours down from the sky and turns earth into food after all these years sleeping on the ground waking before dawn and begging for every meal where's my harvest Late one evening, I was washing my feet after another long day of sitting and walking. The water poured over my feet and onto the ground. I let my mind go, and it flowed downhill with the water toward my little hut. I went inside, sat on the bed, and lowered the wick of the lamp. All by itself, the flame went out. So this insight, so that there's, a, there's, a, there's an important aspect here that comes up again and again in the poems where you have someone who's, who's very diligently practicing, sometimes for a long time, and, and not yet getting the fruit of their practice. So there's two aspects. One is that this woman was, you know, not at all in a state you would think would get a great insight, but because originally, you know, when she first meets the Buddha, because she's so broken open, she's so, the ego structure is just blown open, that she's absolutely receptive to this teaching. And, you know, she is in the company of the Buddha, which probably helps too. And then this, this, these years, I mean, in, in Maddie Weingast's version, he says years. We don't really know whether it was years. We don't really know how long, but it seems that there was a, a fair bit of time where she was, she was ordained. So after that stream entry experience, she asked for ordination and the Buddha sent her to the nuns and she ordained and she lived as a nun and practiced. And, the, and you've got this situation where she's, you know, she's practicing diligently. She's like, well, I'm practicing diligently. Where's my harvest, you know? And then there's this effort and intention and uh, s- persistent um, practice that she's doing and wondering, like, why aren't I getting the fruit of my practice? Come on, you know, I'm diligent. And, I'm, and, he, and she's even calm, you know, she's even experiencing calm, but she's not getting the breakthrough. And then she's washing her feet 
and she watches the water. So the way it's described is that she's washing her feet and she's watching the water run off her feet and run down into the ground. And some of the water goes into, you know, it's, it's, it's like we, we might have seen it, like you, you're pouring the water on, onto the ground and it runs in little rivulets and then some of it, and then it just disappears into the ground, it sinks in. And she sees that some of it sinks in really quickly and some of it sinks in a little bit further and some of it might run for quite a while and then sink into the ground. But it all ends up sinking into the ground. And as she sees that, she recognises this is how it is for human beings too. Some live a short life and then die and some live a medium length life and then die and some live a long life and then die and we all and this is how it is and it's not wrong it's it's like this so she really understands that deeply and uh, I don't know I like the image of the water because it has that sense of you know, when you see water running in a little rivulet, it, it's it's like it's like a something. You know, it's like a you see a little stream, and it's like oh, it's a little stream of water. It's, it looks like something. We have a we have a name for it, but what is it? It's it's a, it's a process. It's 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 just a a process of you know water and earth and movement and time and and then it sinks away and it's no longer a stream. So it also points to that in terms of our lives because we, we feel so real and separate and personal <clears throat> and there is that aspect and that's part of it. We have to, you know, we live from that. We have personalities and bodies and characters and shapes and sizes and ages and colours and health and ill health and all of that. That's all part of our subjective reality. And that's like the little stream of water. And then at some point we have to let it all go because that's the way it is. And uh, that stream, that quality of that stream for me is, is pointing to you know, what, we, what we think of as me and mine. It's like, it's like a stream of... You know, it's like a, there's a mind, a stream of consciousness, a stream of, of uh, like a mind continuum, as a, we could say the stream of the body that's not the same body that we were born in all those years ago. It's quite different. It's not a single cell that's, that's the same as the one we were born in. But it's still, you know, we, we got our birth certificate. We were born, it's the same, it's the same stream. So it's a little bit like that. It's like, it's not the same body, actually. But it's the same stream. It's not the same mind, even. It's not the same, you know, our mind, so much has changed over those years. So many different influences. It's not the same as what we started with. But there's a stream of continuity that I call Ananda Bodhi here. There's this Ananda Bodhiing stream going on here. And... Uh, it hasn't been a, a short stream, it might be a middle stream, length stream, or it might be a long stream, I don't know, who knows. So um, this insight of this nun who had such a, a stark and, and uh, ruthless awakening to the, to the vulnerability of this life, you know, to the truth of this realm that we live in, that we, we so seek security in, you know, we so wish that it can give us security and 
safety and certainty and it can only give us so much. It's the way the way this realm is made, the way this system is set up. So the Buddha is trying to help us to see the truth of the way things are so that we're not endlessly grieving, endlessly wishing, endlessly hoping, endlessly grasping for that thing that will make us happy. Because it can make us happy, it does make us happy, that's why we grasp for it, but then it changes. So it can't, we can't get true, the true satisfaction we're looking for from trying to hold on to what is changing. We can't get it from the outside world. We can get a certain amount of happiness and healing and uh, joy, you know, that certainly, uh, and it's limited. It's limited. So the Buddha is trying to point us back to, like, he's not trying to point us to, to have a miserable life and, and just get depressed and look at all the terrible things. And that's not what it's about. But it's about recognizing that we all deeply want safety, happiness, peace, well-being. It's, it's a deep, deep wish in, in pretty much every heart, I would say. And then we look for it in the wrong places, and so we get disappointed or hurt or afraid again and again. And so he's pointing us to the, the paradox of, of letting go, of, of letting go into this ever-changing process that, uh, of life. And, but it's not just letting go. It's also, you know, it's also um, working on putting down the stuff that pulls us down, that drags us down, that makes us small, small-hearted, small-minded, and developing the qualities that bring a sense of well-being and self-respect and, and confidence and uh, yeah, joy. So cultivating those qualities. And then there's the aspect of purifying the mind, which is, which is what happens in the meditation. You know, when, we're, when we sit with the, the difficult and don't react to it, or with the longing and don't react to it, but we know it. Or when we, uh, when the mind starts to settle and and it touches into peaceful states that we can't create, we can't make them happen. But sometimes there's a letting go that can allow a deepening of our experience that uh, gives us a different perspective on on life. So this is what he's pointing to, and. Um, uh, personally, uh, you know, my like I first s- started to turn towards, like, find the Dharma through that recollection, that, that recognition of, like, oh my goodness, you know, everyone dies. It was kind of a shock. I was a teenager, and you know in that whole thing of getting ready you know, at school and you've got to get your grades and then you, it's all about getting ready for your life and, and then I, and it was like, wow, everybody dies. What is this about? Why isn't anybody talking about this? You know, what's going on? 
And it was kind of shocking at the time. Not, not just that, that everybody dies, but that nobody's talking about it. This is serious. Why isn't anyone talking about this? And, but people weren't. But the Buddha does talk about it. He, talk, he brings it up as a, as a, as a, a simple truth, as a, as a real, simple truth. And um, because that, uh, you know, because that is the case, it's like, it's it, when we really, when, if we can really bring that to mind, not in a way that we feel afraid. You know, I don't want you to go to bed being terrified that you're not going to wake up in the morning or anything like that. But if we can bring that reality to into the forefront, it's the, the mind starts to get bright and clear and sharp, and and what is important and what is not important start to become much more clear than when we have a sense of like, oh, you know, I'll probably live to like maybe 80 or 90 and, you know, I've got this much time and I can do this, this and this. You know, when we think like that, there's less clarity in our minds. We can't see so clearly because it's, it's kind of a deluded way of thinking. And then when we bring the reality of impermanence, I'm just going to use that word instead of death, when we bring the reality of impermanence right here, I'm experiencing right now as I speak, everything gets brighter, clearer. We're not going to waste our time fiddling around with stuff and following addictions and getting annoyed about that person and why can't they be different. There's no, you're not going to do that when there's that real clarity of like this precious moment. So some of you may have experienced... um, something like a car accident or, you know, a situation where there's a sudden, where you suddenly realise, like, your, your, the vulnerability of your life, that you could die any moment. It's, it's, it's a powerful experience. And, and in, the, in those experiences, it's almost as though time uh, stretches. So, like, a few seconds become a very long time where you're, where you're watching everything, knowing everything. And, and in a way, you're kind of assessing all of the things. I mean, that's been my experience of you know, holding on to grudges or staying in a in a, in a um, difficult, you know, remaining like nurturing a difficult relationship with somebody rather than healing it or moving away, and suddenly all of those things become really clear. If you have one of those experiences where, like, oh, you know, where either yourself or someone close to you, it's it wakes you up. So for me, that was the beginning of the path of like, how does one make sense of this life, knowing that that's part of it? And uh, <coughs> so, this this nun Patachara, she's, you know, her life was pretty extreme. Hopefully none of us will have to go through such extremities as she went through. But this is, this is what happened for her. And she was fortunate, fortunate enough to hear the, the Dhamma and to be woken up. Not, not, oh, it's okay, everything's going to be all right. It's like, this life is like this. It's like presenting a truth to someone who'd already seen it but couldn't, couldn't fathom it. And uh, in that, in those last 
few lines of the poem where she says about going into her hut and turning out the lamp and the lamp going out. So that's a, a, a simile for becoming fully awakened. So it's like the the um, the, the 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 flame is burning from the f- the fuel gives the flame. You know, it's like it's burning because it has it's clinging to the f- to the fuel, and as long as that flame clings to the fuel and there is fuel, it keeps burning. And then when the fuel runs out, there's no more clinging. There's just a letting go. So it's not about extinction. That's a that's a word that doesn't fit. But it's about letting go of of what fuels our greed, hatred, and delusion. It's letting go of that, and so that there's just like peace, being, freedom. And uh, Patachara was known for her, um, so she, she studied the Vinaya, the um, discipline with the Buddha. So she learnt from, apparently from him, the discipline, and she was foremost in the Vinaya, foremost in Vinaya expert, so the, in, the, in the discipline of uh, the monastic discipline. And she was, uh, she had quite a, quite a following of women, um, probably nuns and probably also non-monastic women who came to her because she had been through so much and come out the other side. So she was someone who probably, I would guess, had a lot of empathy and could meet people where they were and could guide people to this clarity and, and freedom. So she was, a, she went from being a kind of, you know, a crazed woman uh, with, with everything lost to being someone who was fully awake and was able to benefit many people. So I don't know if that uh, lands for anyone or whether it's a little bit too uh, far out, I don't know, but it's one of the very important stories in the Terigata. And, you know, we have just been through this long, challenging pandemic and we are witnessing these wars which are really heartbreaking. And... uh, you know, that we're, we're very much faced with the reality of the vulnerability of these, of these lives, of our life. So may this be, uh, rather that I don't want you to feel like depressed or afraid or whatever, but this is, a, this is a reality that can help us to wake up, help us to have a sense of urgency, a sense of like, Okay, let's get on with it. You know, we're seeing all around us the the death and destruction in, in in the news and so on, and and it's like, okay, let's get on with it. Let's let's work at aligning the mind with truth and seeing things as they are, and letting go of our our greed, our hatred, our delusion as best as we can. So I'm going to offer that tonight and I also kind of want to say sorry if that's a little heavy as a first talk, but this is what wanted to come through. Thank you. So we can sit now in silence.
I just want to say one more, one more thing. Actually, in the in the Dhammapada, the the verses of Dhamma, little little verses. There's a there's one verse that says something along. The, I don't have it um, exactly, but it's something along the lines of, for those who know um, that you know that we will die, all quarrelling ends. So I think that's a very important. <laughs> Reflection too. You know, we can get into quarrelling and disputes and positions, and it's like when you really take in the reality of shared reality that we all live in, you just put it down. It's not worth it. So.
So there is an opportunity to sit longer if you want to stay in the hall. You're welcome to carry on sitting. And uh, I'd like to invite everyone, before you go to bed, uh, just to, to step outside for a few minutes and open to the great sky and the earth and the you know, the vastness of nature. And uh, so this teaching is not about, uh, it's not meant to shut us down, but to open us to this moment, to life as it's unfolding. And uh, it may be a personal thing, but I, I always find that being in nature, even just for a few moments, does that very naturally, in ways that being in a room sometimes shuts one down. So I'd just like to invite you to take a moment or two to step outside and maybe get onto the grass and look up at the sky and the trees before going to bed so that you remember in a, in a visceral way your connection, our connection with everything. And um, all being well, we'll all wake up in the morning and meet here at six but you never know. And so I'd like to invite you. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's true. So I'd like to invite you um, through this retreat, but uh, particularly tonight perhaps, or yeah, through the retreat, just to reflect on, you know, if this was, if this were, we don't know, you know, if this was our last day or our last week, the last day or week of our life, what do we want to let go of? What are we holding on to? that we don't need to hold on to? What would we like to let go of? So it can really help us to see more clearly when we bring these possibilities into consciousness. What would we not want to take to our grave? You know, What would we want to heal or um, release or uh, forgive that we're still holding on to? So I'm going to leave you with that. And I, I do hope you sleep well. You know, please relax into your bed and uh, feel the holding that is here. And uh, may you sleep well and may you wake well and may we meet at six in the morning here. And again, you're welcome to come earlier if you like to. So. And as a last piece... Um, so we have the table out there by the Kuan Yin with names of people some people have passed on and some people have uh, in needing some support um, so I'd like to just invite us before we we disperse to bring to mind, just take a moment to touch into your heart and Bring to mind your practice for the day. So, you know, it might be that you've just struggled all day and it's been really difficult and you can't see any, you know, you can't see any goodness in that. The fact that you're here and you stayed with it is practice. Um, you may have uh, had opportunity to do some something good for some, you know, like in your yogi job that your heart was really aligned with giving. This is beautiful practice. Uh, it may be that you had a moment of peace or a moment of happiness in your meditation. This is a beautiful practice. So just whatever, whether it was struggle or 
or, or generosity or um, uh, moments of letting go or insight, whatever may have happened, just to really recollect the goodness of your practice and of your intention and of, and of, the, of your staying power also. Staying with it takes, takes some effort. And to, I like to think of it as a, to me it's kind of like a nectar. There's this word in Pali, punya, which is in English translated as merits. I don't think it's a great translation. I always think of it as like a kind of a nectar that, that develops in the heart as one practices. And so it's like sharing that nectar, that, that beautiful nectar for the benefit of all beings. So all of the people on that table, which, and please you're welcome to add names and situations, and to all beings in all realms, may all beings in all realms gain benefit from our practice. May all beings in all realms realize their true nature. May all beings in all realms be free. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.